1: Bible study tonight, we're back in 2 Peter. Now we're going to begin, we're not really gonna have any kind of a review this evening. We're just gonna jump right into chapter two, where he begins, 2 Peter chapter two, he begins in verse one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. What is this? This is a warning from the Apostle Peter. It's a warning from the Apostle Peter to us today, to believers today, that just as there were false prophets in days of old, just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there will also be false prophets and false teachers in the days of the church, all the way up until the modern time. And we've had no shortage of that, especially in America, especially over the last... Uh, 160 years, 200 years, and not just the last 200 years. There's always somebody coming out of the woodwork with some new take on Scripture and some uh, claiming to have some new revelation and bringing in damnable heresies just as Peter the Apostle warned us. So what's a damnable heresy? Well, what's a heresy for that matter? A heresy is a false teaching. And there are different degrees of destructiveness in different false teachings. Some that are not so much a big deal, like building a church based on whether or not Adam had a belly button, you know. Uh, But there are others that are other beliefs and heresies that are far more destructive, far more destructive. And I'm thinking of different examples. I don't really want to get into different ones. Suffice it to suffice it to say, Peter has warned us by the Holy Ghost. He's warned us by the Holy Ghost that there are going to be false teachers among us. There are going to be false teachers that are among us in society, and sometimes they arise even within existing churches that are otherwise more or less right on line with the Word of God. Someone stands up and utters some, some, uh, some screwball teaching that, oh, well, God isn't saving people in churches anymore. I've heard that one more than once. I have. And it leads a lot of people astray. It really does. And even warns it here in verse 2. He says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. What's, what's that word right there, pernicious? Well, I looked it up just to have a nice definition of it so we don't, we're not winging it. Pernicious speaks of having a harmful effect especially in a gradual or a subtle way. Pernicious means it comes in stealthily under the radar. The harm that it does... Is stealthy and it's underneath the radar and there are many pernicious teachings that have made their way into the church not just 2,000 years ago as with the Gnostics or Judaizers, Judaizers that were actively trying to bring uh, otherwise grounded faithful Christians uh, that would sought to bring them under bondage to the law or add <laughs> What does say add to thy faith? They sought to add to the faith, but they didn't seek to add to the faith. They sought to detract from the faith and to substitute it with works and other things. Now, we know that works, specifically good works, have their place in the Christian life, but they are not a substitute for saving faith. And it is faith that saves us, specifically faith in God by way of Jesus Christ and His perfect work His perfect, complete work upon the cross. Let no one try to tell you that, oh, well, yes, it was good, but it was imperfect or it was incomplete. Don't let anybody hand that trash to you and subvert your faith. That is an example of a damnable heresy. And there's a group that goes about promoting that. A huge, massive group that goes about promoting that. And we're just not all about dropping names tonight. So we'll just take that and then the Lord will bring it to mind if ever you encounter them and need to remember it. We trust the Holy Ghost will do His work. And so he says, many shall follow their pernicious ways, their subtly destructive, subversive ways. Many will be taken up by that, and they will, according to well, verse 1, bring upon themselves swift destruction, and by those that follow these pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth is, shall be spoken evil of. So he says, by reason of whom? By reason of whom? By those that follow these pernicious ways that come by way of false prophets and false teachers. He's warning them. He's warning us. Beware. These people are coming. These people are already active in the church, and they're going to bring about false teachings and they're going to lead many astray. And it is through these that the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So let's contrast these two things here pernicious ways versus the way of truth. And there's one blessed thing about the way of truth. And let me tell you, I have rejoiced in this. I have rejoiced in this many, many times over the nearly 30 years that I've served the Lord. That the way of truth is evident, it defends itself, it is clean, and when you're, really just, when you're really just in tune with God, it resounds in your heart when you hear it. When you hear truth spoken and taught from the Word of God, there's something in you by way of the Holy Ghost that just sounds out like a clear bell just ringing on a clear day and it carries far and wide. It is that sensation. It was a secular writer even even that mentioned this but he hit the nail on the head. The true teaching is easy to recognize because it awakens within oneself that sensation which says this is something I have always known. The way of truth is just like that. And it's simple, and it's Bible, and it's right there buried within the Word of God, and it's not very, it's buried deep, yes, but not all of it is buried deep. the truth is right up there at the surface level too. It's just a, a matter of digging in. And if you're a shallow seeker, if you're a shallow end Christian, well, the truth is there too. But you're just not finding all of it. Dig deeper into the Word, there's the truth too. So we talk about digging deeper, but not digging deeper into other people's writings. We're talking about just digging deeper into the same 66 books of the Holy Bible that he has given to all of us, amen? It's right there. And so we encourage being a, we encourage coming out of the shallows and into the depths. Why, because we're trying to reveal to you secret and hidden knowledge? No, but because it's, all of it is there, it's plainly there in English, it's not written between the lines. It's there to be understood. But it reveals itself only to those who will go, through the, go to the trouble of digging for it. Remember, add to your virtue knowledge. Add to your virtue knowledge. There it is. So there are pernicious ways, and those always seem to take the word and twist it around. Rubik's cube it and try to make it into something that, that, that it isn't and try to make it say something that it doesn't. By reason of whom, this is in verse 2, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. By reason of whom? By reason of the false prophets or false teachers and by reason of those who follow their pernicious ways, like he was just talking about in verse 1 and in the beginning of verse 2. The way of truth shall be evil spoken of because of people like this. Now, Again, I don't want to drop names, but there's a group that's been very active in Cheyenne, less active at other times, more active at others, and not just in Cheyenne. They've got a large presence down in Denver. And uh, they've been around since the 1950s. They got their start in South Korea. And they really, they really warp and twist and distort the Scriptures. And seemingly their whole... The, the the delivery system, that the primary delivery system for their pernicious doctrines is based upon this whole concept of God the mother. Now, if you've ever known the truth of the gospel, even in the shallow end of the pool, that ought to set off all your red flags right there. And you know that these cats are coming to you with nothing of the truth, but with pernicious ways and damnable heresies. And they seek to divert people, and not just this group, many other groups besides, They seek to divert people away from the pure simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of a holy life and of simple life in faith in Jesus. A simple life in faith in Jesus Christ. They seek to divert people off of that with all of these convoluted words. They seek to turn people away from the simple truth of the word of God. Watch it. You keep an eye on folks like that when they're coming around you. And don't just... Swallow what they have to say on your doorstep. Don't just swallow it all wholesale. The Bible even commands us to try the spirits to see if they be of God. And that's another reason why it is so important to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. Again, I cannot overemphasize that. If it was for the apostles and the first believers back there on the day of Pentecost, it is still very much for us today. That's never gone away. Said, so, well, not everybody necessarily had a manifestation of that back in the old days. Well, because back in the old days, they didn't perceive a need for it. They didn't perceive a need for it. And I'm talking about 100, 200, 300 years ago. They didn't perceive a need for it because Western culture was largely Christianized, but they still had a need. For the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because one of the things that comes with that, okay, it's not all just all about tongues, and we'll talk more about that when we get into Corinthians in the weeks to come. But it's not all just about tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. A lot of times it's just about knowing right from wrong and being able to understand when someone's coming at you with some wonky donk gospel or doctrine that seeks to divert you from the pure simplicity of the faith and into something that is confusing or into something that is even ungodly, into something that is, as Peter says in verse 1, a damnable heresy. He's not just going off and calling it damnable. He's identifying it for its quality. It is damnable. And it is something that if we believe it and embrace it, it will bring us to destruction. And that's something that we've got to understand. I know that there are many different churches and many different denominations and many different doctrines that are out there, and we are not a church that, that, that stands upon the premise that we're the only ones that are right with God and the only ones that are going to heaven. But truth be told... The ones that are preaching the truth and all of it, a lot of times you're not finding them among the mainstream. They'll say that Jesus is God, the Son of God, and they they nail it when they say that. That's good. Okay, good. Praise God, at least that's still a predominant mainstream doctrine. But then they ship, other, they ship and smuggle other doctrines in with that. Things like replacement theology, which we've talked about a little bit, and kingdom theology, which we've talked about a little bit. Things that sound good to the ear, but they don't really line up with Scripture at all. And again, read the, read the book of Romans and you'll see. And not to get off too much into that, but I want to nail this down while we're in this. This whole subject of damnable heresies. Not every church is on the money. Not every church is on the bullseye. Not every church is preaching and teaching all of the truth or the whole truth or nothing but the truth. And some of them, some of them, it's a different spirit. Some of them, it's just error. They're a little off on something or whatever. And again, it may not be necessarily all that important. But other things, it really is a heaven or hell issue if you believe the right thing. It really can be. It can be. So he warns us. He says, there's going to be false teachers, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, that means privately, shall bring in, subtly, they shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And so even in verse 1 and verse 2 here, and it'll go on and we'll continue to read here in a second, but even as early as verse 1, Peter's bringing in, he's not bringing in, but his letter seems to take a more serious tone. I don't want to say a darker tone or a, 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 a negative tone, but it is a little bit of a darker tone because throughout this chapter, he, he's talking about, he's revealing how God is going to be and still is to this day a righteous judge. And he's going to sort this mess out and he's going to judge those and he even talks about that with the angels here. Let's just read on and then we'll come back and dig into the details. So he speaks about pernicious ways in verse 2. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be spoken of. These groups that ship heresies are going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths concerning the actual way of truth. And so it's cults and things like that that make Christianity uh, distasteful in the eyes and in the minds of, of the rest of the community, the city, the nation that you live in. Right? It's not genuine Christians that leave that bad taste. It's usually the people that mess it all up. Verse 3, And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Don't tell me God's a God of love only. He is a God of love, and He is love itself. But don't think for a second that God, who is love itself, cannot be forced to put away evil. If you've ever been a parent, you understand this probably better than most folks. Not that it's just parents that understand this. If you've ever been a child, you understand this too. You put your parents in a position where they had to come down on you because if they didn't come down on you, then it's a a tacit approval, it's a pass, and then you just ran amok with it and you got away with as much as you could until you hit whatever hard limits they put in place. God, who is love, he can be pushed too far. He can be. And I know that's something that doesn't get pushed a lot in, in, mod, in, in much in modern churches because there's all this God is love, God is love, God is love. And, and we want people to know that. It is the truth and they need to know that. But at the same time, we need to understand that God is a just judge. And if people push Him too far, they will bring upon themselves destruction. Let's read more. So verse 3, he said... Through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, that means fake, insincere words, they shall make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. What's that mean? It's coming. Judgment day is coming. For the wicked, it is coming. Verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world. So he's bringing in examples now. First, the angels that sinned. And then he talks about the old world. Verse 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. That's a third example. Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample. That means an example. It's a living example. Making them an ensample unto those that that after should live ungodly and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth, how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Now we read a lot there, but it was a long sentence. All those verses were broke up with colons and semicolons. And remember, we told you what a semicolon is last Sunday, right? So you're going to make the same joke again? No, because it was corny. You can go back on our YouTube channel, catch the Sunday morning service, and you'll pick it up then. He uses all these examples. He reminds us through these examples of people that pushed God. Not just people, but whole societies that pushed God too far. You see, it's one thing when people are living in ungodliness But they know it's ungodliness and there's an element of shame that's still at work there and so they're keeping it low key. They keep it sort of under the covers or on the down low if you want to use a modern vernacular. They're they're not really flagrant with it. They're not out in the open with it flaunting it before the eyes of God and all of heaven and the rest of the world. They're sort of keeping it under wraps either for prudence or out of shame or for whatever the reason is. But it seems like when a society crosses that line to where they just bring it out into the open like we're seeing more and more now. They really invite the destruction of the judgment of God upon their society. And the examples he gave right here, God didn't spare the angels that sinned. Those were his own angels that beheld his face every single day. They sinned, and God judged them. He judged them immediately and cast them down into hell to be reserved in chains of judgment or chains of darkness until uh, to be reserved unto judgment. That's verse 4. And then, all right, it's, what's, it's, it's a progression from times past until closer and closer to the modern age. And then he spared not the old world. Well, what was the old world? He's not talking about Europe where your ancestors emigrated from. He's talking about that world that existed before the flood. When the whole human race was one land, one people, one culture, one language, all of that, okay? When it, when we don't know much about what the world was even like back then, we only have a few names that are shared with us by way of a genealogy, and then there are a couple extraordinary exceptions in there, like Enoch who walked with God, Methuselah who lived to an unbelievably old age, and then of course Noah. Noah whose generation and his son's generations were the crossover from the old world to the new. God judged and destroyed the old world because of their wickedness. We just read about that last night in Genesis. God destroyed the old world because their wickedness grew to such immense proportions, and it was so open and flagrant that there was nothing left to do but to judge. And then he gives another example concerning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and really all of the cities of that plain except for, I think, Zoar, was uh, Zoar, Zora, I think it was Zoar, uh, a, a small uh, city that was spared for Lot's sake. He said in verse five, verse six, excuse me, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, that's pretty graphic. He didn't send in an army to just kill all of the people. He could have done that. He didn't just have an earthquake that shook it to the ground. It's like God was making a statement. He sent fire from heaven to destroy those cities because of the degree and wantonness of their evil, their flagrant, their flaunting of it before the eyes of God. No fear of God, no shame in their deeds. He destroyed them. He turned them into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. So, Now, there's also a thread of deliverance through these examples, okay? Not necessarily the angels, because they were angels, and that was a different situation. But he flooded the world, but he saved Noah and Noah's immediate family. He destroyed Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain, but he saved Lot. And they tried to save Lot's family, but Lot's wife looked back and in so doing destroyed herself. You go back into Genesis, read that she was turned into a pillar of salt. There's a message there. When God's trying to deliver you out of a terrible place, do not look back. Now as a metaphor, I'm speaking of that in a spiritual sense. When He's delivered you out of sin in a place, a, a place that is condemned to destruction, okay? Don't look back. There's nothing back there for you to look back at. You're being delivered. There's nothing worth back to, there's nothing back there for you. Because if there was, then we ought to, we ought to have stayed back there and then perished in the destruction with the rest of them. When God delivers you from something terrible, do not look back, you will turn bitter. You ever had a mouthful of salt? You ever tried to eat something that had been like way oversalted? Too much salt is... Yeah, I like salt, but too much salt, you know, it, may, it ruins something, it's inedible. It's very, very bitter. I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but, but if you can liken uh, you know, too much salt to bitterness, and Lot's wife looking back on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, she turned into a pillar of that stuff. What was the message there? Leave the past alone. and Leave that old sinful life alone. Don't look back, don't even look back, let alone go back, because when you look back, A lot of times people look back because their heart is, some part of their heart is still back there and they miss it. And so leave those things that are slated for destruction alone and let them burn. Let those things burn and not you. There's the lesson there. So turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. He destroyed them the way that he did. So as a message, not just for those that he was destroying, because, you know, there's no lesson to learn there. It's judgment time. But for, for any that look back on that, remember the lesson. Learn from their experience. When you commit, if you commit yourself to a life of debauchery and uncleanness and a degree of sin, uh, you know, not to say that there's any degree of sin that's not going to be judged, but when there's just no repentance there, that's your ultimate end. Fire, fire. I don't say a whole lot about hellfire and brimstone. I don't really like preaching it. Sometimes it's appropriate, but it's certainly not the only message. Okay, and it gets old, and it just people turn bulletproof to that after a while, anyhow, and it doesn't do any good. And uh, but it is there, and it's something to remember. And so, when as believers, if we find ourselves flagging. where where the love of God is concerned, our love for God or our love for truth and righteousness or our love for the straight way or the way of truth, as Peter calls it. If we find ourselves getting kind of meh in our Christian commitment in our Christian life and and, and we find that our love for God is insufficient, not because God is insufficient, but our love for Him starts ceases to be sufficient to keep us in the straight way, remember the fear of hell. Okay? I'm not going to pound this too hard, but remember it because it's still there and it still burns beneath our feet, so to speak. It does. And its windows are never closed. People are falling into it every hour of every day. And they go there, and they are lost for eternity. And sometimes it's fear that still saves us. If, as we said, we start getting kind of lukewarm, and we're just not really, well, I'm just not really feeling devoted today. Feeling devoted? One person, he was a, he was a character in a book, he was talking about, or he was uh, going to train some, young royalty who was being raised up was going to train him fighter practice fighting practice for that day and this was that guy's job so he came to he was the son of a duke and uh, said fighting practice son of the duke said I'm not in the mood we had fighting practice earlier today and uh, the trainer the teacher was outraged at that answer and said something like not in the mood moods are for cattle or for making love. You fight when the need arises. So not feeling devoted, not in the mood to be devoted to God, well, there's your answer. Moods are for cattle and other things. You we are devoted to God all the time, whether we're in the mood or not. Right. Amen. And so that's just that's our life, and, and we are not our own. We're bought with a price. And so here are Peter's warnings. And he speaks of Lot being delivered. And he speaks of Lot as, as though Lot were a just man. And that's worth some unpacking because we tend to look, we took, we tend to look at Lot like, well, he was stupid. What, what was he doing in Sodom anyway? You know, he shouldn't have been there. He was supposed to be a herdsman. And we've preached on that before. And there's some merit to all of that. But here in Second Peter, he describes him as vexing his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And there's a message in there for us, and there's something in there to consider. Do you vex your own righteous soul with ungodly company? Because that's one of the things that makes the Christian life harder, not easier. Now, sometimes you have to because you've you got to clock in on a job, and the people on your job aren't Christians, aren't saved, or they're just not good people to be around. That all depends. I've worked in construction. I know what I'm talking about. But I've also worked in offices, and they can be just as bad they really can be and so sinner culture is sinner culture and so it, it, there's some variations in it but it's you know all has the same bottom line ultimately speaking but why not pick better company when you can who are you hanging out with on your off time really who are you spending time with in your own time Lot put himself in the city of Sodom. Should he have done that? No, but there he was. And maybe it was family pressure. Maybe it was his wife. Wives have a way of doing that to husbands. Putting the squeeze on them and twisting their arms, usually by way of nagging. Like, you went there. I did, because the Proverbs go there too. It's talking about, it describes that sort of behavior as like a continual dropping, like a dripping faucet. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I don't make a good dripping noise. But there it is. It's that faucet that won't stop. It's that toilet that won't shut off after the flush. It just keeps... You know what I mean? It wears at you. Maybe it was his wife doing that. I'm not directing that at anyone, but you know, it's there. Maybe it was his wife's. Maybe it was his daughter's pressure on him. He had two of them. But whatever it was, it, it got him to, to live in Sodom, to keep company in Sodom, maybe to work in Sodom. don't really know. But in Sodom... His soul was vexed constantly by the wickedness of the people that were around him. And you go back into Genesis and read that account again. There's a message in there for us. Let's just not keep bad company. When you have a choice, when you, you know, again, you know, if you have to be around sinners at some time, you have, to be, you have to be in that case at work, whatever. It is what it is. God is able to keep us if we wanna be kept. And that goes back to verse nine. When you finish punching the clock for the day, when you're out of there, when you no longer owe any time to the boss man, and now it's just you at home, who do you keep company with? We should prefer the company of saints. And they might, be, they might have very different personalities than us other saints, you know? But as the church gets larger, then pe- and then you have more and more people with, the, with common personalities that are able to, to find one another uh, out, and it makes it a little bit easier. But whether it's different interests or different personalities or whatever, I'd rather be, I would rather be around the most annoying, hyper ex- hyper extrovert who's a Christian than around uh, the most thoughtful, introverted sinner. I might get something out of that conversation with them, but the Spirit's not the same. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what it's about. And so it's best to be around other believers because they're not going to be wearing like the sinner is. And so, well, I'm trying to reach them for the Lord. Well, okay, maybe. But the Lord knows why. If they are keeping that company, he knows why you are. Is it because you simply enjoy being around the sinners? More like the one guy said, I had to be around sinners for a while to appreciate the brethren. Well, that's an indictment all around the clock there. That's an indictment against the brother, the brother who feels that way, and it's an indictment against the brothers that make the person feel that way. And so let's prefer godly company. It's always going to be more edifying. He can talk about the things of God. You might actually learn something you didn't know before. You might might be able to to reveal something to someone that they didn't know before. You never know. But there it is. Because, verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations. Let that sink in. God knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation. Your part is... You've got to want to be delivered. Amen. Because he he can't force. Those angels did not force Lot and his family out of Sodom. They compelled him, yes, but he had to move willingly of his own accord. And so he did. And so we're just going to leave it at that. He mentions reserving the unjust unto the day of judgment and there's there's more to teach on here concerning this, but we'll get to that next week be it the will of the Lord. But there it is. God is a righteous judge, but God also knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. We just have to want to be delivered. And if you do, he said in another place that with every temptation he will make a way of escape. And so it's there. We have no excuses. They're all taken away. So let the Lord deliver you. Be willing. Want to be delivered. Let God keep you by wanting to be kept.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org. Backslash Cheyenne W. Y. Giving.